name's Dave Whidden. Uh, my background is in the Royal Marines. I served in the Royal Marines for six years and then I went travelling for a number of years and then returned to the UK in 2003 just as the college was being built. One of my first roles was actually helping set up all the Sea Survival Training Centre and then getting all the training accredited and starting to train all crews in Sea Survival, uh, firefighting, first aid and also looking after all the capsizing that was taking place in the Sea Survival Centre. The main purpose of the college was to um, train all our volunteer crews in all aspects of, of lifeboating and that includes from your sort of basic entry level crews uh, doing all their sea survival, learning about uh, all the equipment that we use like the personal protective equipment like life jackets to the more advanced courses where you need to have the, your navigation skills and then the command skills as well so being able to command a lifeboat. So it was a big learning curve from a number of aspects, although I had background in maritime and, and diving and a lot of water sports, I very quickly sort of learned to adapt um, our training to the needs of our crew. What fascinated uh, me was meeting all the different volunteers and the different crews that were coming in to receive the training. So it was a very special and I guess a very privileged position to be in to be able to start training our volunteer crews in all those different aspects that they needed in, in order to be to be a volunteer. The most memorable um, early days for me was um, we had some coxswains that came to the college to actually sit on the pilot course that we delivered and it took us quite a bit of work to sort of win them over. The, the first couple of days they just sat there with their arms crossed sort of with a little bit of scepticism thinking oh is this the future of training and as I say it was quite a hard job to win them over but by the end of the the three-day pilot course that we ran I can remember them sitting down and they were just blown away by what they'd done in the three days so not only had they done all the sea survival training but we had a, a an all-weather lifeboat fire simulator as well and then they did a full day of first aid training so it was all very practical hands-on training that was actually what the crews needed in order to be able to go out and not only look after themselves um, on a boat but also being able to look after others that they might have been rescuing and I remember their feedback being if, if this is the future of crew training this is absolutely fantastic and is what is needed. With my background, I've always enjoyed adventures and challenges and I've always been looking for the next challenge. So when I started as a trainer in the college back in 2004, I always were looking for different challenges. So um, I started running marathons to do fundraising for the RLI. I organised a 24 hours in a life raft um, event and that was for the Train One, Train Save Many campaign. We managed to raise over £10,000 um, for spending 24 hours in a life raft, organised a couple of 24-hour swimathons in the survival tank. So I was always looking for, well, what's next? And then um, I got approached by a good friend I used to work with in um, South America, and his idea was to row across the Atlantic. So I thought, well, why not? It sounds like a good idea. So before I knew it, I'd committed to rowing across the Atlantic, and what a better 
charity to do it for. A, I work for the RNLI, I volunteer for the RNLI, I'm always looking for opportunities to fundraise, and I thought, well, let's do it for the RNLI. And again, it's going back to the sort of RNLI heritage to think 200 years ago how our original crews used to go out to rescue people. So I felt it was quite a compelling case to sort of imagine what it would have been like back in the day of rowing a lifeboat out to go and rescue people. So we embarked on um, the challenge and it took us nearly 18 months from when I was initially approached to actually setting off to row across the Atlantic. So yeah, in 2011, we rowed across from Agadir in Morocco all the way to Barbados. And that was a total of 60 days at sea in a two-man rowing boat, completely self-funded. Um, and we raised money again for the RNLI. And um, yeah, it's very memorable. Um, experience to say the least. Being at sea with another person on a small seven metre plywood boat gives you plenty of opportunities to um, to reflect on life and entertain yourself but I think one of the most funnier things that happened was um, Lloyd who was my rowing partner he um, had just made a cup of tea so he'd just come off shift because we used to row two hours on two hours off he'd just come off shift and uh, made a cup of tea and just sat down to in the little space that we had to sort of do all our admin and cooking. And just as he was sat down to drink his cup of tea, a flying fish came out of the water and landed straight in his cup of tea. And probably that was one of the most, the, the, the time that I saw him most annoyed. It finally got to him that a simple thing like having a cup of tea was a challenge in itself. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the funny moments I take away. I actually left the RLI to go and pursue another challenge. I spent a year cycling the length of South America. And then on my return, I got asked to return as a um, inshore lifeboat trainer. So I got involved in delivering all aspects of the inshore lifeboat, so D-classes, Atlantics. And then I also got involved in the flood rescue team, both as a volunteer and to start helping developing the training for the uh, flood rescue. Whilst I was a trainer, we were getting lots of uh, requests for international training. So the first international training trip that I did was to actually to Brazil and uh, Uruguay. And we've got some very, very close links with organizations all around the world where um, we've sold XRNLI lifeboats. Um, so I was asked to go and provide some training to Uruguay and to Brazil. And back in 2013, that was my first international trip. And then I then got involved with some early work that was happening in Bangladesh around um, some of the drowning prevention work. And the fire service were looking for water rescue training and flood training, because Bangladesh being a country where water's everywhere and also there it um, gets major floods every year. We, we were exploring how we could support the fire service to um, help them set up their flood rescue team uh, or flood rescue response. So my role as a trainer I was starting to get more involved in international training and then that led to me joining the international team on a secondment back in 2015 um, because from the requests that we were getting we were getting a lot of requests around how we could help organizations either set up life-saving services also for training materials and we identified that there was not a lot of um, technical resources for organizations around the world to to access for, for training so I did that for a year and then that led to a full-time role as a sort of international programs manager 
So I've been working since then as a program manager and I've had the privilege to work in a lot of countries where they haven't got the resources or they haven't got the knowledge. Um, so we share our life-saving expertise to be able to help those organizations and countries to, to develop their own life-saving services. I've had um, people contact me to say thanks to the training that they've received from their RNI. They've been able to save lives and I've got a number of those messages from the fire service in Bangladesh, from um, marine police organizations in Tanzania that we've worked with that they've been able to say, send me a message saying because of the training we've received we rescued a, a, a lady that fell in the water or a boat that sank. So it just puts sort of our work into perspective that you've actually been able to make an impact to save to save even more lives. So yeah, as I say, and that really is what gets me out of bed in the morning, really, to make you appreciate the impact that you can have to save lives, which is what the RLI is all about, really. It's about saving those lives at sea. Um, so back in 2020, um, ADIS, which is our equivalent in Uruguay, purchased three Mersey lifeboats from the RLI. And as part of those three boats that went over, one of them was the Grace Darling, so it's quite a historical boat and to think now that boat has come to the end of service within the RLI but it's now carrying on its life in Uruguay and continues to save life and the crews there in Uruguay are so proud that A, they've got the Grace Darling lifeboat now which is still in service and also the connections with, with the RLI to see the the sort of historical links that RLI has had with, with Addis in Uruguay especially. I mean, we've had a relationship for over 70 years and they were founded in sort of 1950s. And the first lifeboat they ever received from the RLI was a historical lifeboat that was actually involved in the Dun uh, Dunkirk evacuations. And they still got it on display in Uruguay and they've pretty much every boat that they've had in their fleet since they were founded is been an ex-RNLI lifeboat to actually go out there and see these lifeboats still carrying on to save lives is um is fascinating and that's again one of the areas of my job that just blows me away to sort of visit these countries where you can still see lifeboats still being used that we've retired out of our fleet maybe 20 30 years ago and they're still going strong they're still looked after and maintained to the highest standards and they're still saving lives I think the impact it's had on my life is never underestimate the impact the RLI has on people you just never know who you're talking to and I've been um, doing tours of the college or just sat in the bar chatting to people and then they open up about their own stories about how the NLI has impacted their life with stories of when they were rescued back in the 70s and they've now become lifelong supporters of the RLI because of that. Um, yeah, I think that is priceless and we can never underestimate the impact, the work that the RLI does not only domestically here in the UK and Ireland but also all around the world. Hello, it's Mary McAleese here. You've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. 
To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org slash 200 voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Two Hundred Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.